Hello, and welcome to The Shining Light, where we are shining the light of the gospel and speaking the truth in love, providing strength, and stirring the hearts of our listeners. We are so glad to have you joining us today as you listen to this message from Pastor Tim Cruz. Man, you know, we have so much to be thankful for when it comes to folks who are serving the Lord with us here. And thank you so much for everyone who's worked so hard to put this music together for Easter Sunday 2022. It's meant a lot to me and I appreciate it. And I hope your heart is open, ready to remember what the Lord's done and what we have in Jesus. I've been telling you about these children who were surveyed and asked what love is, what it means. I want to give you one final one. A four-year-old child One really chosen the best response to the definition of love. And uh, this child's next door neighbor was an elderly gentleman who had recently lost his wife. Upon seeing the man cry, the little boy went into the old gentleman's yard, climbed up onto his lap, and just sat there. When his mother asked what he had said to the neighbor, the little boy said, nothing, I just helped him cry. And I'll think about that. You know, there are sufferings in this world, sufferings in this life. But I'm so thankful this morning we don't have to suffer alone. Jesus helps us cry. We've talked about the surrender of Jesus in the garden, the silence of Jesus before Caiaphas and Pilate. And then today I want to highlight as we begin in the message this morning, the suffering of Jesus. Of course, we'll end with his glorious resurrection. But I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Matthew. And I want you to think with me about some things here in Matthew 27 about this crucifixion of Christ our Savior. Matthew 27. I came across some things that I want to share with you by way of introduction. And I want you to think about these questions here. Why was crucifixion used? It was a slow death with maximal pain and suffering. What was the usual cause of death due to being crucified? Asphyxiation, just suffocating. Think of that, the agony of just not being able to breathe. What range of time could someone hang on the cross for? Three hours to four days, can you imagine? Who was crucified normally? Who was it reserved for? Slaves, foreigners? revolutionaries, vile criminals, sometimes desertion of soldiers. And, but for Christ, think about it. The most cruel, unusual suffering and pain reserved for him. His scourging, the short whip used, braided leather thongs that really had iron balls wrapped around and tied to the end, and then uh, sharp sheep bone. And this was uh, preparatory for crucifixion. This was given to him 39 times. Pain and blood loss would have set him into shock. And then other things about the nails in his hand producing excruciating bolts of fiery pain, paralysis of that portion of the hand. This is Jesus, he who knew no sin, for your sin and mine. 
This is the suffering that he bore, his body that was broken. He said, don't forget my body that was broken for you and my blood that was shed. His hands and his feet as they were nailed and uh, nerves and arteries severed, the pain, blood loss. And then as he would try to breathe and lift himself up, they would push up on the nail that they're that held their feet, the pain, the wounds, as they would open again and again, eventual exhaustion and asphyxiation. I think about this. This is our Jesus. Remember the spear in his side? At that angle, not just a surface wound, but all the way up into his lungs, even his heart, as a blood and water flowed. I want to tell you, I think it's good for us to be reminded of what he's done for us. The fact that he knew no sin, and we who did sin, who deserved such punishment, he paid it for us. Amazing, is it not? Sometimes it's hard to appreciate the resurrection as we should without being reminded of the crucifixion and what he bore for us. Look with me here in Matthew 27 and notice some things in verse 33 and following. The Bible says, And when they were coming to a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of the skull, we've been there, my wife and I, just outside of the city of Jerusalem. They gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him, underlined that, imparted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there. And they set over his head an accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. I think about these two thieves here. One believed, one did not. The one who believed that moment, that moment when he died, he was with Jesus in paradise. One preacher said when he was asked upon arriving there, how did you get here? What did you do? And of all the things one would expect perhaps someone to say, here's how I qualified to get here, he just simply said, the man on the middle cross told me I could come. Isn't that wonderful? The man on the middle cross told me I could come. You know, that's how you're going to make it to heaven one day. That's how we're all going to make it to heaven one day. It's because the man on the middle cross said we could come. Not because of our righteousness, but because of His and what He had done for us. But notice this, others passed by in verse 39, they reviled Him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now. If he will have him, 
For he said, I am the Son of God. Amazing. As the Bible says in verse 45, now from the sixth hour that was noon, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour, 3 p.m. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Think of what Jesus bore, your sin, your shame, your darkness and mine, being separated from the Father, bearing our sins in his own body. Amazing. Verse 50, Jesus, when he cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. One writer said, our champion was down, but not out. I'm glad the story doesn't end here, aren't you? It continues on. And then they buried him. And we pick up in verse 63. There were those who came to the chief priests and the Pharisees. They gathered together and came into Pilate, the governor, and said, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Repeatedly Jesus said, the Son of Man must needs be crucified and buried, but he will rise again. I will rise again, destroy this temple, and in three days I will lift it up. He had already told them that. And they remembered that, and they said, oh, he's just a liar anyway. He's disillusional. He's not uh, really who he claims to be. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. I'll tell you what, we better make sure that we guard and seal that tomb. Verse 64, command therefore that the sepulcher or the grave be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead. So the last era shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, You have a watch. Go your way. Make it as sure as you can. Would you underline that? I wrote here in my Bible, It wasn't sure enough. Make it as sure as you can. They said, we're going to try to keep him in that grave. I thought it was interesting. Chuck Colson, who went to jail during the Nixon era with Watergate, got saved, became an evangelist for God. He's with the Lord now. He said, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true, and the way I know it is because of Watergate. He said, those disciples, they went and they faced persecution, suffering and sacrifice, even death up to some 40 years after he rose from the dead, and they never changed their story. He said 12 of the most powerful men in the world during Watergate couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. He said, that's how I know the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so. It's true. The disciples, they would have never ventured life and limb for a lie. This was not them stealing him in the night and hiding his body somewhere else and then saying, oh, go to the tomb. He's not there. He's risen like he said. No, this was not a lie. This was a reality that was about to unfold in the chapter 28. As it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and other Mary to see the sepulcher. There was a great earthquake, the Bible says. 
And the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. Jesus did not just go into what some theorize, a coma, and just kind of lost consciousness for a few days, and then woke up on that third day. He literally died. He died. He was crucified. He did suffer great anguish and pain. But I like how it says to them, and think about the tense, he was crucified, he is not here. Do you see that? That is what happened then. But let me tell you what's happening now. What is already taking place in your midst. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, and there you shall see him. Lo, I have told you. You know, I think about this, and what a story they went forth from this tomb to tell. And God wants us to go in the power of the resurrection of Christ and tell this story and boldly proclaim it because there is this strength, this confidence, this conviction that comes from the fact that Jesus was crucified. He was buried, but he conquered the grave. And because he lives, we live forevermore. One writer said, his death certificate became my birth certificate. Because he died, I'm alive. Because he didn't stay dead. He conquered death and its power. 4,000 recognized world religions there are in this world. And so many other religious leaders and teachers without number. But only one who resurrected from the dead. Only Jesus was alive before he was born. Lived again after he died. Lives now in those who were dead in sin and gives eternal life after death, only Jesus. I want to tell you, we're serving the risen Lord. He's a victor. His death was voluntary. He laid down his life, the Bible says. His death was vicarious. That means that it was in your place and mine. He bore our penalty in his own body on the cross. But it was also victorious. The grave couldn't hold him. As I was studying this and thinking about it, you know, I just was reading and reviewing some things. I, I like what another writer said. A.W. Tozer, salvation was bought not by Jesus' fist, but by his nail-pierced hands. Not by muscle, but by love. Not by vengeance, but by forgiveness. Not by force, but by sacrifice. Jesus Christ, our Lord, surrendered in order that he might win. It's amazing. 
His ways are higher than our ways. And they're so much better and beyond our ways. As I thought about this, I thought about a few principles that we glean from this in Christ's life. Number one, so much in life is not about what happens to us. It's about how we respond. Who wants to be rejected? Who wants to be just scoffed at and scorned and mocked and even put to death? Who would welcome that? Not a one of us. Someone has said life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% of how you respond. We want out of pain and suffering. But Jesus embraced it. When he said, nevertheless, Father, not my will, but thine be done, he embraced the Father's plan. He saw the agony, the pain, the suffering that was before him. Despising the shame, Hebrews 12 says, he endured the cross. He was able to look beyond the cross and know that there was a victory, a glory, a crown awaiting so many of us, a cross comes, a trial comes, and we're, we're finished. We're done. I'm ready to quit, walk away from God, walk away from family, walk away from serving God, walk away from everything. Uh, life just doesn't compute for me. It doesn't make sense. I, I don't want this. I didn't welcome this. I don't deserve this. What's going on in my life? We better be careful. We think serving God is going to make us somewhat immune from the troubles of life. Oh, no. Jesus, in fact, said, in this world, ye shall have tribulation. It's coming your way. But be of good cheer. Why? I've done what? I've overcome the world. You don't have to be defeated. You don't have to stay down. It's not what happens to you in life. It's how you respond. In unbelief, pride, self-will, I don't want this. You go from bad to worse. By the way, don't ever tell yourself, it can't get any worse than this. How many of us have ever been there and thought that? Just be honest, I've been there. I tell you, I'm hurting so bad right now. It can't get any worse than this. Let me tell you, don't say that. There are levels of pain that exist that you don't even know exist. You don't even know they're there. And they're possible, but they are. And so sometimes it's like, well, I've already run off the road. I might as well clear out the ditch and take a few mailboxes, right? No, no, no. You need to get back on the road. You need to get back on track with God. You need to humble yourself before the Lord. Because there are people, now listen, I've lived a little while. And I face a lot of things in life. I marvel at how jaded I could be as a man right now apart from the grace of God and a way to process my beefs and my griefs and my frustrations and my faults and my failures and my disagreements with others. If I didn't have a way to process that and deal with that and get that out of my heart and out of my head, can you imagine what I'd be carrying around today? Like there are those here today, you're carrying around so many griefs. So many frustrations, so many disappointments. After a while, it weighs on you. It takes its toll. You get to a place to where life is nothing but bleak and, and nothing to look forward to. No wonder people ultimately despair of life. And they just give up 
altogether. I will tell you, because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you don't have to give up. In fact, because He did, you can get up. You can get back up. It's not what happens to you in this life. It's how you respond to it. And you don't have to respond in your own wisdom, in your own strength. You can respond in the wisdom and the strength and the help of God. God is with you. Jesus is our example, but He's also our Savior and our friend. How are you going to respond to what has come your way? I'll tell you, God allows things in our lives to prove us. He already knows what's in our heart. He just wants us to see what's in our heart. And God, through proving times, we think, oh, it's this person and that and what they said and how. No, 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 no. I'll tell you where the focus ought to be is like, Lord, show me my heart. Why I would respond the way I do. Why I feel the way I do. I remember one day praying in the chapel over here in the old auditorium. We were still meeting over there. And, uh, and I tell you, somebody was giving me a fit. And I was so frustrated. It's like they were just wrangling with me. And I'm thinking, oh, what am I going to do? And I remember walking up and down the aisle and just saying, Lord, what am I going to do with this person? What am I going to do? It's like the Lord just whispered in my heart, reminded me, why don't you ask me what is in your heart that would make you respond the way you're responding? And I'm telling you, I got under deep conviction. I said, well, Lord, show me what's in my heart toward that person. And God began to show me. And I'll tell you, I circled back around and I fell on my knees in that altar. And I said, dear Lord, this person has some things I know you need to deal with, but there's some things in my heart you need to deal with too. And I see, Lord, that if I will get victory in my heart before you, then I'll have victory in this situation between me and this person. And you know what? God literally set me free that day because I actually began to pray for his blessing upon that person. Now, we're all kind of smiling in the sense that we, we kind of got a sense of what I'm talking about, right? Is there somebody that you can't pray that God will bless? Well, sure there is. Are there some people you're hoping God will deal with? Get their attention? Whatever it may be. I'm going to tell you, we all have those moments. But there are times when we have to understand that God wants us to deal with these moments in faith. And it's like, Lord, show me me. You've put this person in my life. What's coming out? A am I petty? A am I somewhat shallow in my thinking? A am I selfish? A am, am I just uh, petulant or impetuous about things? What is it about me you're trying to show me, Lord? Isn't it amazing the blind spots that we have? I've been taking a class online, and one of the great things that it says that challenge leaders is this. It's when you don't know what you don't know. There are things going on under your charge 
that you don't even know. And because you don't know it, you don't know how to deal with it, or you don't know what the challenge is. So it talks about clear lines of communication. It talks about uh, so many things to shore that up. But then I thought about it. Do you realize there are a lot of things that God sees in my heart that I don't see in my heart? Because Jeremiah says the heart is desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? There are things that are in my heart that I don't know. But God wants me to see them so I can deal with them. And the way he brings them to the surface in my life is through troubles and trials. We don't want the suffering. We don't want the sorrow. But I'll tell you what, it's just like someone said, when we have a setback, that's really a setup for a comeback if we'll deal with it in faith. God will help us. God will give us fresh grace and strength and understanding. Listen, when we hear things, do we deal with them just in the moment? It's kind of like this. There's no depth there. There's no breath there. Is that the way we process things? Or do we see things in a deeper way with understanding, in a wider way with the wisdom of God? We can't be just surface people. We can't be simple in understanding or not understanding things, especially when we struggle in our heart against the Lord. But why me? Oh, we have to humble ourselves in faith and know that Jesus took man's absolute worst. The worst they could mete out. It was for pain. It was for agony. It was for the cruelest, extended suffering they could imagine. They didn't want him to die right away. When they put a crown of thorns on his head, when they spit in his face, when they punched him, when they mocked him, when they beat him with that cat of nine tails, when they did all of those things, they didn't want him to die right away. They wanted him to suffer. You ever had a sibling fight? You ever heard those words? Suffer. Suffer. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Come on. Yeah. I take great delight in seeing you hurt and the pain that you got coming. Isn't that right? So many of us live that way. God wants us to grow beyond that, to mature beyond that, and embrace our sufferings in faith and say, you know what? If Jesus was able to overcome man's worst that they could mete out when others served me their worst, if he overcame it, if he rose above it, by grace through faith in him, so can I. I can get back up. I can live a victorious life. This doesn't have to define me, doesn't have to defeat nor destroy me. God can use this to make me more like him and to live out his victory. Number one, so much in life is how we respond. Not what happens, but how we respond to it. Number two, if you'll study this with Christ here, in essence, when he stood before Pilate and remained silent, Jesus was saying, give me all you got. Whatever you can beat out, I can overcome. I can rise above. There are times when God has helped me to see that. People just all the time striking out, lashing out. There comes a time when you say, oh, I don't want this. I, I, I just I can't understand this. Where are you, Lord? There's a time when you embrace it in faith and it's like, hey, God's got this. God's got me. 
it is a test of our faith when we're able to embrace others and what they say or the things that they do to try to frustrate or oppose us. It's as though the Lord would say, just bring it on, hit me with your best shot, because whatever you can come up with being the worst thing you can do to me, that even I'll rise above and conquer. Now, I don't know about you, but there's a time when people have taken from me and taken from me, and then I read in the Bible, and it says, uh, if someone asks for your coat, give them your cloak also. And I believe what the Lord teaches us there is this. It's like, uh, you, you're going to try to undermine me. You're going to try to hurt me. You're going to try to take from me. There's a God in heaven. I'm trusting God. Uh, what, what else you need? See, people think, I'm, I'm going to hurt that person. I'm going to take from them their name. I'm going to take away some kind of resource. I'm going to undermine and subvert them. I'm really going to hurt them. No, you're not. Who in the end was hurt the worst here? It wasn't Jesus. You understand that? And by the way, if you have that spirit of vengeance and striking out at someone, getting back at someone, God wants you to see that in yourself. No, it's everybody else that makes me feel this way. It's everybody else that makes me react this way. It's everybody. No, it's not everybody else. It's you. It's your heart. It's your spirit that God wants you to see so you can confess and turn from. He wants to set you free. I'll tell you, so many of us will go through like, oh, this happened, that happened, this person. I want to tell you, there comes a time when you are able, by God's grace, to embrace the challenges of life. And say, come what may, God in heaven will not be limited. God will sustain me and raise me back up. Isn't that amazing? Well, it's wonderful. You can actually embrace the challenges of life. And then lastly, I remember being in French class in high school. How many of you took French in high school? How many of you took Spanish in high school? All right. I can say a few things, but I won't. It's been a long time since high school, all right? But I remember my teacher, Mrs. Bartlett, a sweet Christian lady, just a little petite lady. She loved the Lord. And in my yearbook, my senior year, she knew I got saved and God had called me to preach. She was so happy and she wrote out that verse, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I'll never forget her. She had a saying that she wanted us to always take to heart and remember. And that saying was this. He who laughs last laughs best. The last laugh is the best laugh. Do you remember what the Bible says back here in Matthew 27 and verse number 39? They reviled him, wagging their heads. They mocked him, the Bible says in verse 41. They laughed at him, they scorned him, and said, if you are who you think you are, who you say you are, just get down off the cross. I mean, why don't you call on God if he'll have you? 
Oh, they mocked at him. They laughed at him. There may be someone laughing at you. You're trying to do what's right. You're trying to take a stand for God. You're trying to uh, do what is honorable. I want to tell you, we're living today to where good is evil and evil is good. We've got it totally reversed because we've left God out. And people who try to do what's right are so mocked in this day. So misunderstood, so misrepresented. And oftentimes people project upon them what is really in their own heart and they don't realize that. And I think about that. There comes a time when you may be mocked for taking a stand for doing what's right and they may be merciless to you. But you stand fast. You bear that grief. Even embrace it in faith. And there's a God in heaven who will have the last word in the matter in your life. People say all kinds of things. Wait, wait, the last chapter hadn't been written yet, much less read when it comes to your life. We have read the last chapter of the Bible, and you know what? Jesus Christ wins. Number three, I hope you'll write that down and remember it. This principle of the last laugh. He who laughs last laughs best. I want to tell you what. God has the final word and the final say. All the mockings and the railings of man, the Bible says the heathen will rage. Let them rage. They're going to until the day when God calls them into account. I read this story and I close. Nobody knows when it started, but it did, the writer said. The first jar of pickles to appear on Aunt Bee's grave in Siler City, North Carolina, showed up in 1989. Did you know that? That was the year she died. Legend states that the pickles were probably homemade. The pickles were a salute to season two, episode 11, The Pickle Story. How many of you remember that? The Pickle Story. Aunt B made pickles that tasted so bad they could take the paint off of Navy ships. Kerosene cucumbers, they were called in the episode. The writer goes on to say how down to earth and, and uh, practical this show was. And he said it was like a constant companion for me as a fatherless child growing up. And uh, what it taught me, I value to this day. But he says... The words on Aunt B's tombstone read, to live in the hearts of those left behind is not to die. And then he closed by saying, would that the same be said of you and me someday? To live in the hearts of those left behind is not to die. Jesus died, but he rose again. And I'll tell you what, if we don't let him help us rise again as it were from the troubles and trials of life can you imagine rather than impacting people's lives and leaving yourself forever behind in their hearts how there's an adversary that would like to rob that and steal that from you I will tell you life is not so much of what happens to you it's how you respond we're all going to be hurt, disappointed, not a one above it. Do you look to the Lord? Do you lean on Him? Do you draw strength from Him and say, Lord, no matter what I face, I'm going to deal with it in faith. 
And I know that you'll have the final word in this matter, and I'm going to trust you fully. I may be down for a time, but with Jesus Christ in the equation of my life, I'm never out. Thank you for listening to The Shining Light. We pray that this time has been a time of encouragement and blessing to you. The Shining Light is a production of Shining Light Baptist Church, located at 2541 Old Charlotte Highway in Monroe, North Carolina. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to join us. Service times and more information can be found at our website, www.shininglightmonroe.com. You can also watch our services on Facebook and YouTube and connect with us on social media. Thank you for joining us, and God bless.